0: at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder.
1: If somebody was in the movie business, you wouldn't tell them, hey, after COVID, you don't have to go to Hollywood. You can go anywhere to make a movie. But if you think about it, you can write a script from anywhere, you can digitally edit a movie from anywhere, um, you can add a musical score from anywhere, you can film on site in multiple locations. So you can make a movie anywhere, but everybody's still gonna go to Hollywood after COVID.
0: Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Elad Gil. Elad is an entrepreneur, operating executive, and investor to companies such as Airbnb, Coinbase, Checker, Uso, Instacart, Opendoor, GitLab, Rex, Pinterest, Square, Stripe, Wish, and many more. He co founder at Color Genomics and its former CEO. Previously, he was VP of Corporate Strategy at Twitter after it acquired his firm Mixer Labs. and he. He was Google's original product manager for Google Mobile Maps. And lastly, he is the author of iGrowth Handbook. Hi, Elad. Welcome to Founders FAQ. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I have tons of questions for you, but at first place, I would like to start the founder values before even finding the product market fit. How should founders find their core values? Because then they will find the product market fit, but at first place, they need to find their core values. What do you say about it? Yeah, I think
1: it depends on how you define core values. I think those core values in terms of what you care about as a person or individual or a company and separate from that, there's core values in terms of you know what are you actually trying to build and why and what? What are you looking for from a build perspective? Um, If you're focusing on the building side, it feels to me like there's almost three stereotypical ways that founders decide what to do. Uh, One is that there's something that they really want to build for themselves, either because they've built it over and over at another company or in another situation or context, um, or because they themselves would be a user for it. So that's one approach some people take. Um, some people take the approach of doing, you know, some sort of top-down market analysis and deciding something's a big market and then going to look at it. And then others, and uh, these are not mutually exclusive, you can do all three. Um, other people decide that they really want to focus on a very specific customer segment. And they spend a lot of time talking to customers, trying to understand some unmet need and then build against it. And so, you know, I feel like in the very early days, you end up um, usually taking one of those three approaches. I'm sure there's others, but it seems like most startups kind of boil down to those things.
0: And while well, if you're not a sole founder, then you need a co-founder. And how do you evaluate your co-founder skill sets, core assets, core values? Because it's kind of marriage, I think more than a marriage. So what do you say about yeah.
1: it? You know, I think um, there's a big myth that you need a co-founder. So I, I don't think you do. And if you look at the most successful companies, um, almost all of them are either uh, solo founders or dominant founders, right? Where one person is really kind of of um, calling the shots or the person who's sort of clearly in charge relative to their, their founders. And that sometimes evolves. Like sometimes you start off sort of truly co equal and then it shifts. And um, by quality, I don't necessarily mean equality of equity. I just mean a decision making. And so usually the companies that get the biggest have a single person who's really driving the vision and direction. And there's very notable counterexamples. You know, Google is a big counterexample to that. But if you look at Microsoft or you look at Apple or you look at, Um, Amazon or you look at Oracle or, you know, you can go through the list of sort of the biggest companies in the world. Um, Netflix, you know, Reed Hastings eventually became truly dominant and the sole person at the company. Um, Amazon was Jeff Bezos, Oracle was Larry Ellison, Microsoft Bill Gates really was the dominant founder over time. And so, um, you know, I think, I I don't believe you need a co-founder. Now, if you do choose to have a co-founder or multiple co-founders and in both companies I've started, I had co-founders, then you basically have to look for three or four things. Number one, is obviously shared values and ethics and you know how you how you view the world and you know is a person going to defraud you or something you know things like that um Second is um, complementary skill sets. It's much better if one person is really good at something and the other person is really good at something else. And a lot of the co-founder conflicts that I see emerge happen because you have too much overlap in role or what people want to do or decision making. So you need to, to figure all that out um, in terms of that complementarity between the two co-founders. Uh, and then third, you want to define over time like how are decisions made and if we disagree, who makes the final call and things like that. And so you know that's another place of, of sort of common um, co-founder conflicts. And then lastly, there's the economics, you know, what is the equity split? And, um, you know, there's similarly a myth that all equity splits have to be 50-50. And sometimes it's true. But if you look at the cap tables of many of the most successful companies, in many cases, you actually have an unequal equity split. So you look at LinkedIn's cap table as it went public and Reid Hoffman had dramatically more equity than any of his co-founders or Facebook. Zuckerberg had, I think it was four co-founders, but he had the vast majority of the equity. And so um, Apple, Steve Jobs, and Steve Wozniak didn't split it equally. And so again, many of the most successful companies don't have um, equal co-founder splits. Um, and so you know, I think there's all these myths around you need a co-founder, it needs to be equal, and all this stuff, and that actually isn't true. I get
0: it. And for where to start a startup, it's getting changing after the COVID as well. I have lived mm-hmm. in SF for the last five years, and five years ago, you have to, all your team should be in SF, and right now it's getting changing So what do you say for founders, for example, if they're starting a B2B core sales company and to grow in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I feel like there's almost like the um, COVID world and the post-COVID world. And I think those are going to be very different. In the COVID world, in the absence of being able to see very many people, it really doesn't matter that much in terms of where you're at. Um, You still see people, you know, take walks together. And so, for example, the founders I know who are in L.A. right now probably see each other more than the founders who are all in SF. And so I do think there are certain areas that are more open, even if there's COVID cases running um, in terms of people doing outdoor walks and sort of doing proper social distancing, but still having real life conversations. And I think that still matters. Um, but I think during COVID, things matter a little bit less. I think after COVID, you you're want, you're want to go somewhere where there's a cluster of other um, smart, ambitious people trying to build great companies. And I think that will collapse back to a handful of cities. That doesn't mean you can't start a great company from anywhere because you can, but it does mean that I think the biggest successes will continue to be in large industry clusters. And um, in my mind, that's probably still the Bay Area. Um, LA, New York, um, Denver is actually emerging as a cluster, particularly for people that I know have families or a lot of them have moved there. Um, Utah seems to be very good for certain types of SaaS companies. And then um, Austin, Miami are getting a lot of attention right now and i think it's actually better in some sense if there's multiple different areas where there's lots of founders and lots of activity Um, and so my hope is that those ecosystems are very successful Um, fundamentally i think uh, and this is a very us-centric view right for europe it'll be london and a few other places and for you know china it's beijing and shanghai and you know so um but from a us-centric perspective i think clusters will matter again a lot Um, And the funny thing is, if you were to talk to people in other industries, for example, if somebody was in the movie business, you wouldn't tell them, hey, after COVID, you don't have to go to Hollywood, you can go anywhere to make a movie. But if you think about it, you can write a script from anywhere, you can digitally edit a movie from anywhere, um, you can add a musical score from anywhere, you can film on site in multiple locations. So you can make a movie anywhere, but everybody's still going to go to Hollywood after COVID. Or if you're in financial services, you'll probably um, go to New York or London or Hong Kong or one of these global centers. And if you're starting a hedge fund, people won't say, oh, you can start a hedge fund from anywhere, which you probably can, right? You can digitally trade from anywhere. You can raise money from LPs from anywhere. You can do all the same things from anywhere, but everybody will end up still in New York and Connecticut and a few other areas. And so I, I think, um, you know, the average company will have more work from home and the average company will have a little bit more distribution. But if you want to start something, you should probably go to the place where most people are starting things.
0: And do you think like tech is feeding more tech in this term? Like if we will see more unicorn companies in a five to 10, years than today, do you think so?
1: Yeah, I think in general, um, one of the big shifts that happened over the last 10 years is that online markets ended up being 10 or 20 times bigger than people expected. And that's because we had, if you look at every metric, time spent online, um, Wi-Fi availability, mobile phone penetration, like by every metric, people are spending dramatically more time on their phones and devices than they did 10 years ago. And it's literally 10, 20, 30x more time. It isn't, you know isn't 2x more if you look on a global basis. Um, and so that means that all these markets have expanded dramatically. And so something that would have been a small, uh, small as relative but a 10 or 20 million dollar niche business online is now 10 times bigger. It's a $100 million, a $200 million revenue business, which means it's a unicorn. And so I think the reason we're seeing both more unicorns as well as more unicorns distributed around the world is because online markets are so much bigger now that you can reach more customers than you can ever could. Um, and people have more um, willingness to buy online. And so companies get much bigger everywhere. And therefore, I think you see more unicorns and you see more decacorns and more you know scale in general. I do think the very biggest companies will continue to have a headquarter in one of the major clusters. But there's Always going to be the exceptions to that. A Spotify or a Shopify, or basically anything with a FI at the end of it, probably will bad joke, but we'll do better elsewhere. Um, Or, you know, you'll see these pockets of things sort of popping up, but you'll still see aggregation and clusters.
0: I get it. And you have unicorns in your portfolio. And while in those really early days, you are a market first uh, person or a team first person while joining this tribe or other companies. Yeah, I think on average,
1: I've been a market first person in terms of really caring that there's a real market and it's large and there's product market fit for the company, or I should say, I'm a product market person, even if there's no launch product, does a product make sense? Um, obviously, the team is a crucial, and I feel like the product market is what takes you from zero to one, and the team is what takes you from one to 10. And so there's a number of companies that probably should have been 10 times bigger than they were, or maybe 100 times bigger than they were. Um, and with a different founder, they would have ended up there. And so DoorDash is a really good example of just an exceptional founder building a massive company and winning share aggressively over the last 18 months. Um, and I think in another person's hands, maybe they wouldn't have been as successful. So I think, um, the baseline product market matters the most. And then the founder is the thing that really accelerates it, or I should say the founder and the team they build, because I think the other misconception is, um, the degree people often, um, misunderstand that startups ultimately really turn into a team effort. Um, I think early on as a founder, you have to push and push and push, um, but if something really starts to scale, it's all about what's the executive layer you've built out? How good are you at recruiting exceptional uh, people at all levels? And then that really starts to kick in as a, as a multiplier on the company.
0: And those A-plus a+ founders like getting, hiring A-plus people. And in this remote era, do you think it's more hard to keep those A-players while scaling the company? What do you say about it?
1: I think the remote era is really tough right now because um, you face all sorts of challenges. You know, Onboarding is harder. Um, culture building and interactions on an interpersonal level are harder. Um, I know a couple small startups that will occasionally like meet for two hours in a park and work together just so that they can build a bit more interpersonal ties or, you know, faster collaboration. Um, I think in general, remote work is harder if you're trying to start something new and creative and a little bit easier if you already have something up and running and it's just turning the crank on momentum. And so I think it also kind of depends on the type of work that you're doing. Um, in terms of retention, though, I think there's pluses and minuses um, The the plus is that you can retain people in some cases more easily because they want stability. And now is not the time to change five different things. And then the minuses, um, it's easier for people to interview because they don't need to go anywhere. You know, they can just pop in onto a Zoom and interview with people. And people are continuously rethinking their lives. And then I also think that COVID um, is functioning as like a, a giant mental health event that nobody's really talking about because a lot of people are stuck at home. They're stressed out because of fear of the disease, in some cases overstated fear, in some cases not. Um, there's all this political action that's happening. And so I think it's it's kind of like this giant squeeze on a lot of people mentally. And so I think one of the under-discussed aspects of COVID is just that that mental health implication to a pretty large portion of society. So I think um, that's also impacting people's willingness or unwillingness to move around.
0: I get it. And on the fundraising, do you think founders are getting to the fundraise to attract top-tier VCs? It's more easy right now. What do you think about it?
1: I think this is definitely one of the most um, heated funding environments I've ever seen. And so... Um, you know uh during um periods where capital is scarce when there isn't a lot of money chasing companies the best advice you can give a founder is keep going no matter what you need to hit the next milestone like raise money when you can and just go 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 i think in a uh capital rich environment like we're in now today it's possible the best advice you can give somebody is maybe you should think about quitting because i think a lot of companies are being funded that shouldn't keep going but because there's so much money sloshing around uh, people can keep raising money and people are wasting some of the best years of their life from a productivity perspective working on fundamentally bad ideas and so the real question is when do you know when to give up if there's so much money available that you can keep going indefinitely and for the vcs it's all option value right they once they funded something they wanted to keep going in case it works but as a founder if something's not working, you should figure out what to do.
0: I get it. And while investing, then you understand yes, it's going to be a billion dollar company. And what you say for uh, funders, What do they showcase at meeting to you? What do they sell to you? And you you get it. Yes, it's going to be a billion dollar company. What do you say about them? Yeah, I think
1: um, it's really hard in many cases to know what's going to be a billion dollar company. Um, every once in a while, you see something and you're like, of course, you know, it's so obvious. Um, but definitionally, the best companies are non-obvious because it was. Uh, if it was obvious, everybody would be doing it. And so to some extent, you kind of have to squint and ask, is this the thing that will, is the market size big enough? Well, often people get that wrong. You know, I remember um, talking with some people early on about Uber and the entire cab market in San Francisco Bay Area, I think was like a $200 million market a year. And everybody said, look, it's too small. You're out of San Francisco, you're out of New York. Out of, it's just not a big enough market. And it's going to be fragmented, it will be multiple players, there's no defensibility. And then um, I can't remember, like a year or two ago, I think Uber was doing, I can't remember the exact number, say so it was a billion dollars in revenue just in San Francisco. And so I just think um, market size is one of those things that is really hard to estimate. And is your market all of transportation? Is it yellow cabs? Like what's your market? And people um, often don't know how to define that properly or it changes, right? How you how you think about it changes over time. Um, Coca-Cola used to do this exercise actually where um, they used to only measure their soda market share. And then at some point, apparently uh, one of their executives or CEO said, hey, we're measuring the wrong thing. We want share of beverage. Like how, how much of all the things that a person drinks a day are they drinking Coca-Cola products? And that's why they entered bottled water with Dasani. That's why they did all these other things because they realized that if you look at it from a perspective of what's just everything that you drink, all the fluids, they owned a tiny, tiny sliver, even though they were dominant in soda. And so I think sometimes you have to rethink as well What's your actual market?
0: I get it. And my last question is about the coachable to founders. What they suggest for founders to open their coachable skills in their all up and down journey?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question because um, I think people place too high of a burden on themselves to be good at everything instead of asking, what are the things that I'm uniquely capable at? Um, where should I actually improve that's relevant to my team, into my company? And then what can I hire for things that I'm actually never going to be that good at? And so I would bring it back to thinking about it as a team effort. Who are the other uh, people who would be complementary to me? And complementary could be function. It could be skill set. It could be management style. It could be a variety of strategic thinking, whatever it is. And really asking, how do I build up that team around myself? And usually that's at later stages, right? At early stages, it's can I find product market fit? And can I manage a team effectively enough to get to product market fit, right? That's really um, the main things that are important. Um, uh, But later on, it becomes, okay. what's my team? And I think if you're really used to building, you don't necessarily understand that the new product that you have now is not only the product you're selling to customers, but your company is now a product. And you should be spending the same diligence and thoughtfulness around what is, how do I want to build my company and how do I want to build my team? And I think that's a, a loss point on um, many people until they start to struggle and things start breaking and then they realize, oh, it's all team issues.
0: I get it. Perfect. These are all my questions. Thanks for coming to Founders of
1: AQ. Ah, thanks so much for having me.
0: By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order, and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus themes, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfq.com, and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.